my gosh, she's going to hate me. But no, okay. A more firm approach. Megan, I need to talk to you. You know that the financials at this company haven't been great for some time, so you're fired. Oh my gosh. I'm like the worst best friend ever. She's been through so much already this year. Her mom got cancer, her husband left her, and now this? Why is it that life seems so unfair sometimes? Okay, you know, we're just gonna be honest. Megan, I have to talk to you, and it's something that might hurt, but I need to tell you, I'm sorry, but we have to let you go. This is going to be so hard. This is going to be so hard. Why does life have to be so unfair sometimes? Have you ever asked that question? My guess is yes. Uh, people who study uh, faith development uh, through childhood to adulthood and beyond, uh, they recognize that there's this kind of pivotal stage uh, somewhere in between adolescence and when you're in your uh, mid to late 20s where, where you experience what they call a, a shipwreck to your faith. Where the faith uh, that has carried you uh, through life, uh, the faith of your family, the faith you grew up with, if you're an adult convert, uh, you've finally gotten past the honeymoon phase and real life hits you. And there's something that you face, uh, some injustice, um, some anger, some that's not fair, some that why does life have to be so hard happens. And your faith hits the rocks of those questions and you're left picking up the pieces. And this is a pivotal stage, they say. Some people uh, manage to pick up the pieces and, and form their adult faith that they now own. Some people don't. Uh, they leave their faith in shambles and walk away. And, and other people ignore it altogether and, and remain in this kind of pseudo-faith that they grew up with, but, but it's sort of ignorant. They don't want to face the tough questions. They don't want to face the hard things. And there's the question of, is that even faith at all? Uh, for me, my shipwreck moment was my freshman year of college. I came into that year uh, pretty much on fire in every way. Uh, pretty darn cocky, too. Uh, my life was, was awesome. Um, my wife's from Texas, and she would say, I was blessed. I had everything going for me. Um, I, had, uh, I was on the fast track to, to a pre-med thing. Uh, my mom was a nurse in the heart uh, unit, and so from the time I was a kid, I would study books with her. I would learn about hearts. I got to shadow doctors with her. I remember my senior year of high school, I got to stand at the head of a patient during an open-heart surgery and proudly made it through all six hours 
of the operation as the nurses were taking bets on how long I would last after they opened her up, but I made it through the whole thing. I knew that I was cut out for this. And so I wasn't just kind of on the fast track to awesomeness in my career. Um, my relationship was amazing. I was dating this girl for three years and some change. I had a five-year plan and a 10-year plan with her. I knew how it was going to work. Uh, I was going to uh, graduate. We were going to different colleges, uh, but we were going to graduate. We were going to get married. Uh, then I was going to go to grad school while she worked. We were going to find an apartment. After I got done with grad school, we were going to talk about kids. I was thinking two. She was thinking maybe none, but that wouldn't matter. We'll get to it taken care of later. Some of you guys are already laughing because you know that whole phrase, man makes plans and God laughs. I didn't know that phrase then. So I went into my freshman year cocky and excited and ready to make my hopes and dreams happen, and they did. My first three weeks were awesome. I was making so many friends. Uh, my classes were easy. Um, this special lady was calling me up all the time, telling me how much she missed me, so I must have been something. Life was just really good. And then week three of that year hit, and that same girl called me up and said, we need to talk. Uh-oh. I know what that means. Andy, this long distance thing isn't really working out. I don't think it's working very well. We knew it wasn't, and I think we just need to be done. Well, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I knew it would be hard. We talked about that, but it's been three weeks. We're going to get past that. We're going to move on. Things are going to get better. Uh, sure, we can take a break if we need to. No, 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 I'm not talking about a break, Andy. I'm talking about a break up. We're done. We're through. And I finally got that a week later when her Facebook said, in a relationship with someone's name that was not mine. Ouch. It hurts. And it hurt even more so because she was my source of friendship and companionship on the weekends when all these great friends I was meeting went out drinking and partying, and I was not at the point yet where I was ready to go do that. I still felt that that was wrong. That wasn't what God wanted for my life, but it also meant that I had to spend so many weekends alone. Now I didn't even have anyone to talk to. And then as the weeks turned into months, these classes got more and more boring, and I started to look ahead and realize that I was looking at 10 years of school before I even got to do what I wanted. Life, all of a sudden, was not so great. I was no longer cocky. I was just sad and, and lonely, and this nagging voice in the back of my head kept, kept popping up, this isn't fair. This is not at all how I planned it out. Why is this happening? God, why would you let this happen? And then that culminated in, in a crucial conversation between me and the Lord, which was less than pleasant. Uh, amidst tears and the anger of being alone and spending so much time by myself, I finally had to say, why, God? I thought you were for me. 
I've spent my entire life uh, hearing and learning about the fact that you're here with me. You're present. You're good. You're on my side. You're giving me what I need. And yet everything that's happened to me this year seems to say the opposite. If you really knew me, you would know that, that this relationship that was going so well, I, I was getting so much joy out of that. Why would you take that? If you really knew who I was, you would know that, that I need friends. I need people around me. I can't spend so much time alone. It's killing me. I don't think you are for me. And even if you are here, I don't know that you're good. I, no, I can't, I can't believe you. I can't believe in you. Because any God who would treat me like that is no God at all. That was my prayer that night. And so began a season of incredible darkness and pain in my life. And the worst part was that I was raised in a Christian family that had taught me that every night you say your prayers before bed. And that tradition was so ingrained in me that I couldn't get out of it. And so this God that I didn't want anything to do with and didn't want to talk to was staring me in the face every night as I laid down in my bed. And I had to say, I'm mad at you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't believe in you. It was like a little kid who, who tells their dad, I hate you, and wants to slam the door in their face. Night after painful night, that was my experience. And I often think back to that moment and I wonder, if I could go back in time and talk to freshman Andy, what would I say to him? I mean, I could, I, I suppose I could lead off with, with, dude, don't worry about this. Trust me, life is going to get so much better. I mean, I wish I could introduce you to the woman who's going to be your wife. You're going to love her. You're going to have two kids who you can't wait to go home to and, and see every day. And you're going to be working a, a job that you love. And you literally get to see people's lives changed forever. Life is going to be so much better. Don't worry about it. I mean, would freshman Andy even hear that? Just ignoring the pain, ignoring the anger, ignoring the injustice? It'd be like going to a funeral and telling the person closest to that dead person, oh, God has a plan for this. This is all going to work out for good. And you'd be lucky if you didn't get slapped saying something like that. You, you just don't say that. You can't cover up the pain. You can't, you can't erase the anger. You can't pretend like the injustice isn't there. It, it, it's there. And so I don't think that's how I would talk to freshman Andy. I, I think instead, if I could go and talk to freshman Andy, I would sit down next to him and I'll just be quiet for a while. Tell him I love him. Tell him I'm here for you. Listen, if he has something to say, maybe just sit with him for a little bit. And then I would ask if I could read some scripture to him. 
he would think that's really weird, but I would do that anyways. And I would open up to the book of Psalms. And if you've never read any of the Psalms before, uh, make a note right now to go home and read the Psalms. And if your uh, understanding of them is only the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that's great, but you're missing out on so much. There's so much in the Psalms. Start tonight, start tomorrow, read one a day. And you'll see such a range of human emotions. It's poetry is what it is. As humans interact with God in so many different ways, there's delight, there's joy, there's thanksgiving, there's confession, there's sadness, there's hurt, there's anger at the injustice that goes on under God's nose. And I think I would read one of those psalms to Andy. Specifically, I would read to him Psalm 10. Because it's one of those psalms where the person who wrote it is lamenting, is crying out in hurt, in anguish, in anger. And I think that this would speak to him. And it starts out with two profound questions. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and he reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there's no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at his enemies and he says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. The first time I read this scripture, and I saw that question, why, Lord, do you stand far off? I, w I was shocked. There's stuff like that in the Bible. There's room to ask that kind of a question. Where are you? You see, I had lived in the guilt over and over and over again of asking God those questions, of being angry and not thinking I could. And yet here in the Bible, in God's very word, is someone who says, why do you do this? Where are you in the midst of this? Surely, if there's room for someone to ask this question in the Bible and it makes it in, maybe I can too. And throughout Scripture is this theme of people who are asking tough questions of God, who, who are facing tough situations and not ignoring it, not pretending like it's okay, not acting like this stuff isn't happening, but they're facing it and they're bringing it to God. Whether the wicked man is an actual man in their life, someone who's doing them wrong, whether it symbolizes some, some unfair disease that you got whether it symbolizes someone that you lost and you shouldn't have lost them, whatever that wicked man symbolizes, there's room to ask God about it. In fact, throughout Scripture, over and over again, people ask him questions. 
Uh, I didn't put these up on the screen, but I just want you to listen to a few of the questions people ask God. One is from a, a prophet named Habakkuk, who was over all of Israel and, and watching great injustice happen. And, and this is what he says directly to God. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Or how about this one? This one comes from the book of Judges. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. How long, Lord, must I call for help? Uh, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? And then here's a great one from Moses, the big shot himself, the one that God was with, the one that God showed his glory to. Uh, he's, Moses says this to God, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Why do you make me look at this injustice? The Lord has abandoned us. Kill me now, God, if this is how life is going to be. If that's not some raw emotion, if that's not some facing injustice in the world, if that's not people dealing with it, I don't know what is. And I wonder, have you ever taken the time in your life to ask these tough questions? I mean, you turn on the news, you see this stuff. You see the war, you see the famine, you see the disease. You don't even have to turn on the news. Some of you, all you have to do is look in the mirror and you see it. All you have to do is look at the empty chair next to you where someone used to sit and you know it. You just have to look at your family system and wonder, how is it fair that I was born into this? But isn't it freeing that we get to ask these questions and, and not worry about getting struck by lightning at any time? We get to come to God with these questions because God is big enough to handle it. Do you realize that? God is big enough to handle these types of questions, and so they make it into Scripture. He's not a God that crumbles at the first time we wonder, this doesn't make sense to me. He can take it. And there's freedom for us to move past the ignorance of pretending that this stuff doesn't have anything to do with our faith, doesn't have anything to do with our relationship with God, and we can actually deal with it. And God welcomes it. He welcomes it. And the question is, how to have this crucial conversation with God? You see, too often I think we get stuck uh, with the question, why do you allow this to happen? And we want an answer. And for thousands and thousands of years, people have asked that question and have not found a satisfying answer. But how I think this psalm encourages us to deal with this question is through responding 
in prayer, dealing head-on with the injustice and bringing it to God. And I'm going to read through a part of the rest of this psalm, and I'm going to show you a pattern that I see. Maybe you see it too, and maybe it'll be helpful for you. In, in verses 10 through 15 of Psalm 10, he continues talking about this wicked man. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. And he says to himself, God will never notice. He covers up his face and he never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would otherwise not be found out. In these five verses here, I just see a pattern. I see a pattern that happens. And the first part of that is recognizing injustice. Not hiding from it, not ignoring it, not pretending like it doesn't exist, not pretending like it has nothing to do with our faith, not acting like God just kind of set the world into motion and allowed sin to take his course and he just sits there powerless to do anything about it. It recognizes injustice. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's easy because like we said before, it's staring you in the face. It's a death. It's an illness. It's a broken relationship. Sometimes it's harder. Sometimes it's, it's economic, racial, systemic injustice that we, that we would prefer not to think about because we can ignore it because those people live on the other side of Del Mar. Or in New York, they live on the other side of the subway tracks and I can sit here in my world and they can sit here in theirs. Or the economic injustice of some of us have been blessed so much with so many good things. With a second home, with a retirement account, with so much. And those are good things, right? They're good things that God has blessed us with. But then, when you pair that side by side with the single mom who's now jobless, whose mom has cancer, there's injustice there. Something's not right. And this psalm calls us out to recognize it, not run from it, to be people who see it. And then the second part is to call it out. Call it out when you see it. Call it out to yourselves. Call it out to God. What does this psalm say? Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. God is big enough to handle it. And so we can go to God and we can ask those tough questions. We can say, why do you allow this to happen? What are you doing? Where are you? Are you really on my side? We can call it out even further. We can ask them to stop. Break the arm of the wicked man. That's a prayer. Break it however. 
whether it's through using me, whether it's through uh, changing their mind, whether it's through literally breaking them so they can't do this anymore, stop. Stop it, Lord. Stop, please. We can pray this prayer. It's a powerful prayer. And it's a prayer that brings us closer to God. I'm convinced in some of these hardest hardest times where we're seeing injustice, when we're seeing pain, when we're seeing anger, and we call it out, God is closest to us in those moments than he ever has been. It's those moments where instead of being the angry toddler who slams the door and says, I hate you, sometimes you're being held kicking and screaming and saying, I'm mad at you. I don't get this. I don't understand it. But he's there holding you. And the last part of this prayer, it's probably the hardest. It comes from verse 14. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you because you are the helper of the fatherless. Commit yourself to God. Trust in God. Trust that he actually is big enough to handle your questions, big enough to know what's going on. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't be mad. I'm not saying bottle it up. I'm not saying pretend like it doesn't hurt. I'm saying trust him in the hurt. Lean into him in that hurt and see how God will shape you and form you in the midst of it. And maybe you'll start to get a hint of what he's doing. Some of us in the midst of these injustices, we get to see a little bit of what God's doing. Others of us, we need the years of distance and space to see how God has really actually worked something like that out for good. And some of us don't get to see it until eternity. That's the difference. That's a difference, Christian people, that we have. is that we have eternity. We have eternity sealed in Christ. And if there's one person who knows injustice, it's Jesus. The one person who's lived a perfect life and got nailed to a cross for it. The one person who had to take on the sin of all of the world who didn't deserve a lick of it, and he got all of it. There's one person who understands injustice. It's Jesus. And Jesus invites you right now to trust in him. To trust that he is bigger than the injustice. That he can and will work it out for good, even though we might not understand it now, even though we might not understand it later, that in eternity, he will make something of this. He will answer it. I'm convinced that this psalm calls us out to recognize injustice, to call it out to God, to call it out to others, to pray, and to trust him in the midst of it.
that. We might not get answers, but we will have him. That's greater than any answer we could get right now. Let's pray. Lord God, right now we just cry out to you. We cry out to you because there are uh, injustices, there's pain, there's hurt, there's anger of so many types. And sometimes you seem so far away. And God, I would pray that that distance would not cause us to turn away from you, would not cause us to despair and sit in hopelessness, but would cause us to cling to you because you are bigger than the questions and you're big enough to handle it. God, I pray that some of us would ask those questions for the first time and and would listen with open ears to trust and to see how you answer. I don't know what that means for all of us this week, Lord, but I just pray that you will specifically give us a little bit of favor in the midst of injustice to see what you're doing and to get a glimpse of that hope and to cling to Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.